Welcome back to another episode of the Content Lab Podcast, the only digital marketing podcast for marketers, business leaders, and content managers that's 100% dedicated to how the content sausage gets made. I am your host, Liz Murphy, and I'm the content director here at Impact. And as always, I'm joined by my trusty sidekick, John Becker, who is our editorial content manager. How are you doing today, John? I'm great, Liz. How are you? I'm good. There's something a little bit different about this episode that most people probably don't realize. We're in the same place for once because I'm up in New Haven this week, which is very exciting. I also gestured like people can see, but I can see. You now. can see my we jazz can, hands. We could give each other high fives, handshakes, high fives, yes, etc. Um, yeah, we are in the same room. It's awesome because normally I record from home with two dogs and a cat in Annapolis, Maryland. So it's nice to be up here this week. We're up here this week with the team. Tonight we have our usual bonding dinner, which is the brand team's bonding dinner over margaritas. So that should be interesting. But for now, it is work time. It is work time. And today, Liz, you are on the hot seat. It is very sizzly. How is that seat feeling? Warm. Warm. Quite warm, actually. Turn it up yes. a little bit. Uh, so today we are talking about introductions. We recently talked about conclusions, uh, but I think introductions are even more of a challenge because whenever we start writing, that's where we begin with a blank document with nothing but uh, endless possibility, but the frightening you know, idea of endless, endless possibility awaiting us. So let's talk introductions. Let's talk about it. The stuff that gives people nightmares. <laughs> I don't know, it, you know, you and I read a lot of drafts and we also do a lot of writing ourselves. And I think all of us have seen those Kind of phoning it in introductions when nobody knows what to do, you know, in the ever-changing world of digital marketing, the ever-evolving landscape, a lot of things ever change and ever evolve. Uh, and my hope is that by the end of this conversation and through your expert questioning, we'll be able to help people understand how to easily make introductions for their content pieces, or at least make it a little bit more fun and punchy. So why do you think this is such a challenge for people? I think it's a couple of things. I think there is that mental hurdle that you need to get over that you mentioned. Whenever you're looking at that blank screen and just every click of the, every blink of the cursor is like, ha, ha, ha. You have no good thoughts to say to anybody. Um, I think it's partially that. And I think it also is just one of those things where you want to kind of get to the point. You know, sometimes it feels superfluous. Sometimes, especially if you're doing things like a list, you don't understand why it needs to be there. And I think also because you have to accomplish a lot of things in a very small amount of content real estate. There's a really good introduction. You know, it engages people with a hook. It makes them excited to read. It also, if you do it correctly, will establish who the audience is that you're trying to reach. And then it also showcases why you are the person or entity who should be addressing that topic. So those are some lofty things to accomplish in two paragraphs or less. Do you recommend that people write introductions first? If they want to, if they have the mentality of I wanna dive right into the meat, do you ever, as a writer, or do you ever suggest as an editor, okay, dive right into the meat, and then come back and write the introduction afterwards? 100%, in fact, one of my uh, biggest pieces of advice that I give to people, whether you're talking about the introduction or different parts, is to just skip whatever is a roadblock for you at the time. Because sometimes you won't know how you want to start something or end something or 
Maybe you know how to outline four of the five steps really well in a process, but that third one is really kind of giving you a lot of trouble. You know, you could just skip it, but like insert step three here and just move on. Um, and yeah, I have plenty of drafts that have started with the first three words of intro goes here. <laughs> I do the exact same yeah. thing. So I completely agree. You get down what is ready to come out. Mm -hmm. And so often when we try to force writing, and I know we operate with deadlines and sometimes we have to get stuff done, but mm -hmm. um, so often when we force writing, it just is a really, it's like pulling teeth. It's a painful process. The product suffers and the, you know, the whole experience is a negative one. I think also a lot of people are nervous and don't have as much fun with it as they possibly could. You know, a lot of the reasons why people end up relying on those cliches of, you know, in the ever changing world of those crutches, it, it's because, they don't think outside the box in terms of how you can actually have fun with it. I remember um, one article I wrote a long time ago about how I really do not like the word ensure in website copy and in blog articles because it's a weak, wimpy word that just deflates everything around it. Um, I opened it by talking about how I'm a petty person with petty grievances and how I've never gotten over the fact that pineapples grow out of ground, the ground in bushes. And if you don't believe me, Google it. It is just obscene. I hate it. Um, and, and so you can put your personality in there and have fun with it or, or create examples. And I, I think people just, again, it's something you and I see a lot with content in general. People look at it as this big homework assignment that they need to complete. And, you know, it's, it can be really fun if you let it. And in a way, it is the introduction where personality is most likely and most appropriate, mm -hmm. most appropriately going to enter. Mm -hmm. I think it's also that moment where you can really set the tone of, oh, this is going to be different. Oh, this is a real human being that wrote this. Because that's the thing, when you're talking about establishing your authority as the author, because remember, it's engaging, it's establishing who your audience is, but also establishing your authority as the person who should be telling this story. That's a really great way to do it there. Mm -hmm. And you do that by establishing yourself as a human being who has experience or has worked with people in a particular capacity or has a very keen understanding or awareness to personal experience of what somebody is going through or what a company might be going through. So there are a lot of different ways that you can do that, but it's really critically important that you have that human element there. Because generally speaking, when people are looking up blog articles on the internet, they're trying to solve a problem or answer a question, something that's giving them stress or anxiety. It might be rooted in a fear but it's an unknown. And so you're teaching them something and you have to establish why you, the human being, not some faceless blog author is that person. Not only the person who has the answer, but the person who can guide them mm -hmm. to the answer. To Correct. Yes, yeah, and that's the humanity. I love it. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you do it? How do I write an introduction? Yeah. Sometimes, it, so there's the way I teach people and then there's my personal process. So I'll start with the personal process because it's a little bit messier. Sometimes I just know what the intro is going to be. I've decided that there is a story specifically that I want to tell. And there's this great book I actually read by Margot Lightman, which is called The Long Story Short, The Only Storytelling Guide You'll Ever Need. Mm -hmm. And it really helps you learn how to find funny or interesting or just little stories in your everyday life that you can easily use to humanize yourself. And so I try to pull a lot of those in. I'm, I do that a lot with the latest too, like every introduction, I'm like, okay, how much more can I talk about myself? Um, 
but that's my personal process for it is usually when I sit down just because I've been doing this for a really long time, I start by saying, okay, what's the story I want to tell? And that's where I really begin. Now, generally speaking, however, when we're talking about it from a more tactics perspective, there are a couple of different ways you can go about creating an introduction. And really it depends on quite frankly, what the story is that you're telling and what would be the most appropriate way to engage somebody. So for example, um, you could start with a statistic. You know, if you were trying to say that, you know, hey, blogging is a really important thing that your business should be doing. You could open with a statistic that 71% of today's buyers are doing all of their research before they ever speak to somebody in sales. Yeah, the usual. I know I butchered that statistic, but you know what I mean. Sorry, Marcus and Bob. Um, but that might be a powerful way to open it up. Whereas if you're telling a story where, let's say, for example, I'm writing an article about how to have a difficult conversation with somebody at work, whether they're a peer or someone who is a subordinate, um, I might open up with a story instead that really kind of agitates mm -hmm. the fear of the person who's reading it, but also establishes, you know, makes them go, hey, that's me. So you could do that with an actual story where you share one personally, or I always encourage people that if they don't have a story, make a wildly hypothetical one. You know, you know, picture this. You've just walked into the office. And for the past two days, a knot has been residing in your stomach where your coffee should be. You see John across the table and you smile and you realize to yourself, I'm still putting off that conversation about how he always wears plaid and I really don't like it and it offends everybody that we work with. You know, and you can kind of weave this little narrative and maybe it's bordering on the comical or the absurd, right. but really you can paint that hypothetical picture. And that's one of the barriers I think people have to storytelling is, well, I don't have a story. Okay, make one up. Right. Right. Or you could talk to them and say, you know, I bet you've been there before. You walk in the door, you see that guy with the plaid shirt and you're just like, God, what are you doing? you know it's against company policy. This is a dots only, <laughs> this is a dots only organization. You know, you can, you, can, you can tell them their story, you can tell a hypothetical story, or you can tell your own story. And again, it comes down to being very aware of what is it that your audience needs from you. Now, there are gonna be some cases where it's really just getting to the point. You need to explain what it is that you're talking about, lay out exactly what you're gonna teach them and like, it's time to rock and roll. We don't need, you know, Ulysses before you get to the meat and potatoes of your article. But sometimes that story is really helpful. Sometimes that, that statistic is really what's going to hook people and go, wow, I really need to pay attention. And also, any of those introductions could also be a thread that ties your entire narrative together. It could be what informs your conclusion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you bring up a, a question, like you said, if there's tension, you know, in your story, maybe that gets relieved by the end, or if you present um, a situation or a problem, you know, over the course of the piece, you might mm -hmm. relieve that tension by helping answer what you've, you know, what you brought up. Uh, okay, so I love it. So, so you said start with a statistic, start with a story, even if it's you know maybe your story or maybe hypothetical or maybe just get right into it. Mm -hmm. So, if you were to think about I think so often writers tend to kind of get inside their own head and think, okay, 
I'm boring my reader or I'm going on too long or I'm, you know, this is a tangent that isn't directly relevant. How do you know that you're writing too much, writing too little, or kind of just hitting the mark? Well, one thing I would say is that when you're in that initial draft phase, stop second guessing yourself before you even give yourself a chance to let your work breathe. I find that there's so much anxiety, and I've experienced this myself, even though this is my job, you know, oh my gosh, this is too long-winded, is there enough here? What am I saying? This story is pointless. I, I spend as much time writing as I do trying to talk myself out of what it is that I'm doing in that moment. And so what I, my first recommendation there really is to just quiet all the little voices in your head and just let it all out. You know, even if there are tangents, even if there's a lot of stuff that you need to reorganize, there's something that Anne Hanley talks about in her book, Everybody Writes, called uh, The Ugly First Draft. I think it's called TFUD. <laughs> and it, it, it essentially is this notion that, you know, Hemingway wasn't even Hemingway on his first draft. Just get it all out there, get the messy stuff out there, because it is much harder to look at a piece and have people push it out further than it is to take a piece and trim it back. There's just more material to work with there. Even if you, even if you have to go back with you know, the editorial equivalent of a machete and say like, this joke is funny, but it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Like my cutting room floor, proverbially speaking, is littered with like just corpses of lost jokes and stories and, and little details that just ended up not moving the narrative forward. After that, really just start thinking about, there's that line everybody walks when you're telling a story specifically of enough detail to bring people there with you, so much detail that you've lost your audience. And that is a really tricky line to walk. So I always recommend when you're telling a story, set the scene so somebody feels like they're sitting there right next to you, but just with a little bit, you know, like if I were to write a story about today, you know, I'd probably mention the fact that it was a little rainy, it was a little chilly, you know? gray outside. John, once again, yeah, I'm sorry. I, you know what's funny? I love that too. I hope you're not taking this. I'm person. not taking this. <laughs> um, but it, it's little things like that, you know, really making sure like what are the contextual details and then being very, very specific and purposeful about why am I telling this story? I love that. And I think I do this for a living too. I write for a living and, and edit for a living. And when I write, and maybe I send a draft to you mm -hmm. or to Ramona, um, I will always, you know, put like a little comment in, in Google Docs and saying something like, does this work? Does this go on too long? Like, I think it's okay to both trust your instincts, but also trust your friends mm -hmm. and share something and ask for feedback. And, you know, writing is a, a kind of performance and just like everything else, it needs to go through drafting process. Absolutely. And according to his quote, he's drunk when he's writing the first draft. It's not until he sobers up that he starts editing. I think he was probably mostly drunk. All the, yeah, time. All the time. All the time. Um, let me ask you one other thing. So okay. you talked about kind of knowing your audience and, and almost sometimes um, inhabiting your audience's emotional space leading into a story um, or leading into an article. How do you know I don't know exactly how to ask, how to ask this, but like, how do you know when that's like too specific or too general? Like, do you want to like appeal as broadly as you can, or do you want to really target um, a specific audience that, that might be more narrow, but you're going to be really accurate and really um, 
you know, directly aligned with their needs. So this is interesting because your question really doesn't just speak to introductions. It speaks to how you scope out a piece as a whole. And I always say, be as specific as possible. And that's for a few reasons. Um, number one, as the person who has to help guide our editorial strategy, and we are publishing between three and five articles every single day of the year, you know, we, we have a lot of things that we need to be talking about. So I, we have the opportunity and ability to get specific because it enables us to come back to a topic and talk about them in a different way. Because for example, if I were to write an article about uh, content marketing tools, I could probably write one that's specific to the business leader because they have different needs than a content manager would. That's what then I'm gonna be giving them completely and wildly different tools or I might be scoping it out differently. So there's that piece of it, right? The number one benefit is the fact that it allows you the ability to come back and talk about things multiple times from different angles. Number two though, is that it's just a better story. When you really drill in and focus on the needs of that individual, it's going to resonate and have more power because they will look at everything you're saying and go, wow, she, it's for me. She knows, she knows me. She yeah. knows who I am. She knows exactly how I'm feeling. So from the narrative perspective, again, you're just going to have a stickier piece. You're going to create a piece that is not only effective in that moment, but whether they consciously realize it or not, you are now going to stick in their brain as someone who really understands them. So I, I love that. I love that because it, it, I feel like it complements what you said at first, which is as writers, we humanize ourselves when we bring narrative into whatever we're describing. Um, but there's also a, a sort of validation of the humanity of our audience too, mm -hmm. if we acknowledge their pain or their struggle or their success or whatever it is. So it seems like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, and the other piece of that too is that if you're doing blogging or content creation in any sort of capacity where you're trying to get people to give you their money, in exchange for goods and services, <laughs> there's a company culture aspect to it, particularly when you're talking about B2B, because often it's not just a simple, here is my credit card number, just send me some stuff. Often you're creating partnerships that go far beyond a single transaction. So it's kind of like a marriage, you know? It's two companies getting to know each other, figuring out if their values align and if they like going to the same type of restaurants. So the more that you're able to infuse your company culture into your content, right? You want people to have the same experience on your content as they do on your doorstep. Huh. And so that's why if you take a look at the articles and specifically our pieces of pillar content that I coach people on, I push them really hard to say, make this so nobody else could have written this but you. I want you all over it. Because it, we have this interesting thing now where, um, thinking about Jason, Lindy, and Dan Baum, they are a dynamic duo of paid media specialists here at Impact. And they wrote uh, a pillar on Google ads. And I checked with our sales team to see if they had any examples of how they were using uh, pillar content links in uh, sales and prospecting emails and things like that. And one example completely surprised me. Um, Mark Amagone from our sales team sent me one and it said, by the way, this is a, this is a great article about Google, uh, Google ads. Uh, it'll not only show the depth of our expertise, but it will help you get to know Jason and Dan, who are the people you would be working with. That's so, awesome. so it's this neat thing where, you know, we train ourselves and we've been taught since birth to set to write in this very homogenized academic way. 
Now, granted, you have to you know, use your best judgment, use the context of what your organization is, what your values are, what your company culture is, and make those judgment calls yourself. But we are trained not to be ourselves. We are tra- people sit down and I've actually seen people when they start to write a draft, they will they'll, like stiffen their posture. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to write now. Like, Stop like putting on like a, a fake like you suit right before you sit down. Right? Just, just write, just write like yourself. I write about pineapples because that's who I am. I'm ridiculous. <laughs> Having taught, you know, AP English for, for years. So what we always tell students is, you know, don't say you, don't say I, like mm-hmm. completely remove yourself from your writing. And I would imagine the, the flip side of that, the, the other side of the spectrum mm-hmm. is what you're describing. And I, I would guess that people who read the latest mm-hmm. say, feel like they know you. Yes. You know, feel like, oh, you, they, they know the name of your cat. Yeah, they will. I had a couple people come up to me at Inbound, um, which is HubSpot's annual uh, event for marketing and growth and all good business goodness things. And one person, one person out of those group of people who came up to me and said, "Hey, I read the latest. It's so cool. You're an actual human being." And yeah, I'm human. Hi. One person came up to me, and they felt as if they knew me so well they didn't even introduce themselves. They're like, "Oh my gosh, Liz. Hey, how's your cat? How's Pumpkin? Is she still knocking things over me?" Yes, stranger. Hi. <laughs> You're like a celebrity. But that's actually really cool, though. It's really yeah. cool that you have the ability to forge these human-to-human connections just through the power of words. So, again, not only is it going to give you the benefit, though, of making a piece of content more powerful, you're going to find that the process of writing is easier and more enjoyable because you're not trying to write above your pay grade or architect some sort of narrative where you're just this super awesome omniscient voice with a big vocabulary. You know, speak plainly. Treat every article as if you're just having a one-sided conversation with somebody across the table. Yeah. You know? Huh. I would imagine there are some companies who might be hesitant to, 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 to establish authorship, like to, to list an author, and that seems like a terrible idea considering what you're saying. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we always coach our clients on our content marketing uh, consulting clients is that, you know, don't have blogs be attributed to an author that's like the name of the company or I sometimes I still even see blog author. I'm like, guys, this is not 2006. This isn't blogger. What are you doing? But the reason why, and it is that even before the introduction, uh, and you can see it on our website in every article. Like right before the introduction, you have somebody's little headshot, you have their name, you see that it's a person. It's a person that's telling you a story. And I would encourage other people to do that too. I mean, there's so many ways that you can tell that story that goes beyond the introduction, but that's really where it starts. That's where you invite somebody to sit down and it's their invitation from you to not just learn, but to do so in a way that's enjoyable and end in a way that helps them to get to know you. You know, anybody can tell the same story a thousand times, but how you tell it is unique. Don't sound like everybody else. Everybody's so deathly afraid to step out and be themselves, but that's how you win. The other thing too, though, is that if people want more specifics, I actually wrote a pillar on blogging tips and it's kind of like a choose your own adventure style. And the second chapter is literally titled, not chapter two, whatever it's, I need help with writing a killer blog introduction. So if you want to see more of those sample styles or different formulas, I actually give, I think it's six different formulas for writing a 
blog introduction Six there. Or seven, yeah. yeah, and it shows some examples so you can see it more in practice. I tried to use different, you know, industries and things like that so people can put it in their own words, but hopefully that'll help some people out. now. John, take me to your learning corner. What are we learning about this week? So in learning corner this week, I wanted to address something I think we do more often in speech than in writing, but it's a huge pet peeve of mine. I think it's a pet peeve of yours as mm -hmm. well. And um, I think probably a lot of people, which is how we use pronouns specifically me, myself, and I. Now, Liz is talented and smart and organized and diligent and so many wonderful things. She can do a lot of things, but she cannot do anything to myself. It is impossible. No one can do anything to myself except me. Liz cannot talk to myself. Liz cannot give myself a gift. So often we say things like, oh, come and see Liz or myself if you have any questions. No, no, that's impossible. No one else can see yourself only you can do that so we use these incorrectly so often in speech um, that it's almost you know become common and, and easy to miss but um, i am here to give you a little bit of guidance first of all anytime something ends with self that's what's called a reflexive pronoun those of you who speak spanish uh, know how often this is used in that language as well so if you you know dress yourself or feed yourself or something like that no one else can do that um, it's only you who can do something to yourself. Um, second, me, me is an object pronoun. So think about using it in place of something like him um, or her. So we would say like Liz gave something to me. She didn't give it to I and she certainly didn't give it to myself. Um, so I would also say, come and see Liz or me with questions. We so often think, oh, it makes sense. It sounds right to say Liz or I. Come and see Liz or I with questions. And to sound like an old English teacher, because that's what I am, um, you would remove Liz and then think about if that still made sense. So you wouldn't say, come and see I with questions. You would say, come and see me with questions. So you would say, come and see Liz and me or me with questions. Um, lastly is I, I we use the most often, it's a subject pronoun, usually in the beginning of a sentence. So I would say Liz and I are happy to help you or Liz and I are happy to answer your questions. Um, but I would say come and see Liz and me if you have those questions. So me, myself and I, we do it wrong all the time. Train your ear uh, and, and hear it in yourself, specifically in speech, but we do it in writing as well. Liz? I love that. One of my favorite things th that I taught myself when I was younger is that if I can put a, if I can put a verb after it, it's I. If I don't put a verb after it, it's me. Unless you're a caveman and you're like, me, eat, fudge. <laughs> me, me want cookie. Me want cookie. Right. If you're cookie monster, different <laughs> rules apply. Um, but if you're not, follow what we asked. So Liz, uh, to wrap up today, what are you reading? So it's actually a little funny news item that was published on Search Engine Land, and I'll put this in the show notes, but it's the power of search engines and how we're seeing more real life implications. 
So the University of Arizona is obviously a higher education school and their abbreviation has traditionally been UA. But for search engine optimization reasons, they've now officially changed their abbreviation to U Arizona, one word. Why? Because UA is so universal, can apply to anything. There's actually a company called United Artists. It's just a very broad, general thing. University of Alabama, University of Alaska, University yeah. of etc. And they want to distinguish themselves from competitors and those other really well-known uh, UA acronym organizations. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's really funny. Like For SEO reasons, you are now rebranding the way people abbreviate your school officially. So I'll be interested to see if that gets traction. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, <clears throat> and you'll link to that in the show notes as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I guess that brings us to the end of today's episode, huh? The end of our face-to-face -face recording. I'm going to immediately go home and drive. No. <laughs> Next week, we will, we will be back to Zoom. We will, we will be back to, um, you know, standard. But what we haven't addressed is the last time we recorded, your Washington Nationals were not world champions. I know, and now they are world champions, and I'm so excited. As soon as we won the World Series, I literally went to MLBshop.com and spent way too much money. <laughs> I should have just like, had a portion of my paycheck direct deposited to Major League Baseball's shop organization. Um, it's funny, though. I got one of the little World Series ornament, and it will be at my doorstep until December 30th. It's kind of funny. Now, granted, I get it. You know, we had to see who would actually win before they produced all the stuff. But slowly but surely, I'm starting to get little shipping notifications. So I'm very excited about it. Congratulations um, to you and everyone. I know I did it. You know, yeah. thank yeah. you. I did it. It's actually really funny. People have always have been saying to you, know, "Congratulations, great job!" I'm like, <laughs> I did it. Me. I did the thing. <laughs> I've always found it also confusing and difficult when people, if you go out to eat and people try your dish and then compliment you on it, mm -hmm. I don't know what to say then either. Like yeah. they try your soup and they're like, oh, this is really good. I did that. Thank you. I ordered well. I shot the potatoes myself. <laughs> um, well, this wraps up another episode of Content Lab. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Liz, for sharing your insights. Thank you, John. And I do love plaid. But now we're going to have to go have a crucial conversation about it. So we'll see everybody next week. Bye.